This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, we are talking about sharing our stories, and I have here with me Denise. Denise, thanks so much for joining. Thanks, Annie. I'm thrilled to be on. Oh, that's so great. So, Denise, I'd love to just hear, you know, your path, your journey, and, and let's start kind of with um, who you were before you even started sort of looking at your drinking or questioning it at all. Yeah. So, um, so I'm um, a 48-year-old woman uh, turning 49 in a few weeks. I have two sons, 19 and 21. Um, I have two college degrees. My first degree was in industrial engineering. I worked for a few years and then um, went back to school to become a chiropractor, which is interesting when you read your book. That will be a side story. But um, uh, I would say that I've been questioning um, my drinking for probably the last 10 to 15 years. I don't think it's been, I mean, certainly when I was in college, it, it couldn't be too excessive because I had too much schoolwork to do. Um, and then same thing when my, my boys were really little, there was just too much going on. But um, yeah, the last 10 or 15 years, I've probably been questioning it. And um, I was just absolutely thrilled. Uh, I found your book through um, Alan Carr's book. Um, and so uh, I, I read his book a couple times and then I just wanted another one to cement it in and because there were like some missing links and that's how I found you. Um, and yeah, I woke up, um, not that I want to memorialize the date because I don't and I, I'm not big into counting, but, um, but I will remember the date, and it's August 7th of this year um, that I woke up and knew that I wouldn't ever be drinking again. So, Oh, that's so cool. Absolutely. That's so cool. And so what for you were, you know, it, it takes, well, first of all, so you're a doctor, Denise. So I am. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's really neat. I think that's interesting to me how many people write me from actual medical and, mm-hmm. you know, especially holistic fields. And I think it's interesting for a few reasons. Number one, because anything in, in the med- when you're helping other people, you often right. don't take as good of care of yourself. So you're looking for some, mm-hmm. some piece of escape. But then also I think the cognitive dissonance of sort of knowing yeah. is high. So do you have any yeah, thoughts? Well, it's, a- it's absolutely huge. And I, I just, there's so many parts of your book that just really struck home for me. Not only am I a chiropractor, but my twin brother and I started a wellness program um, called Eight Weeks to Wellness. And so we we just get people healthy, um, not just um, physically, but we, we work on the emotional health, nutritional health. And so you talk about cognitive dissonance. I mean, I was kidding myself, you know. So how do you tell someone to exercise hard and sweat and give up the sugar and eat small portions and all do and, and treat your body as a temple. And then, and then, and then you're trying to, you know, educate them on, well, this is how much alcohol you can have. And then you can't have it for the first two weeks. And it was like, I was tap dancing around this thing when you know, I knew in my heart that it's not something that's part of a healthy routine. And when you look at the, the big names of, of positive psychology and positive doctors, I mean, one of my favorite mentors, as far as, um, you know, spiritual leaders, I would say is Wayne Dyer. And I remember hearing him, he passed a couple years ago, but he talks about this when he gave up alcohol and he had a really strong story about it. And so any like major person like is doing credible things in the world, they don't take any drugs, you know? And so I was kidding myself with it. 
Um, so yeah, so it was it was really creating some heartache um, for me as a as a doctor of chiropractic and someone who loved what she does uh, to go home and feel like I was faking it. And so how how was that for you? Like, did I mean I know for me I just really it was almost as if I put up. I can't even really articulate it all that well because it was almost as if there was a wall between what I kind of knew I wanted to be doing and what I was doing. And, and I didn't even allow that conversation almost to happen. But can you talk about how maybe you can articulate it better than I can? It's, it's what you talk about in your book. And, um, we, we, it's not that we're kidding ourselves. It's, it's like we're denying the truth. Right. And so, um, until you recognize truly that alcohol is a drug, you know, and certainly Alan Carr's book, that's really big in that alcohol is a drug. And we can't, it's, it's not that we're kidding ourselves. We literally just deny that truth because I didn't see it like that. You know, I love how you say the drug and alcohol industry as if they're separate, they're not separate. And so until we recognize that alcohol is a drug, I tell my patients, I don't want them to take too much uh, really any prescription medicine, unless they absolutely have to. I, I frequently say there's always, there's a time and place for medicine. It's just not every time and every place. And I think we would recognize as a society that we're completely over-medicated. And yet I would have patients pretty frequently tell me that they were going home and self-medicating with alcohol. And it just, it, it just finally had to hit me certainly with what your book said, but Alcohol is a drug, and if I'm I'm in a drugless prof um, profession, Annie, like chiropractors aren't allowed to prescribe drugs, and that's a beautiful thing in our world because it means that all we have is our hands to heal people, and and our mind to educate them. That's that's what we have, and I don't want to lose that. And so, how come on one say I say, you know, I don't want you taking the the painkillers and the antidepressants, and I want you exercising and eating right and getting adjusted, and on the other hand, and you can have two alcoholic beverages twice a week on eight weeks to wellness and giving all the, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't working and it wasn't even working for me. I was lying to myself about it. So yeah. So just stopping is actually the answer. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love it too, because you sound very, I mean, very intelligent, quite, you know, successful in your life, very sure about where you want your intention just really shines through. Uh, and is similar to, I guess you were talking about Wayne Dyer, it's more of a decision for you of, I want to be my best. It's not that I'm rescuing myself from the worst. That's correct. And I do like, and that's really what it is. You get, I'm at, I'm a little further along as far as you have uh, your young babies, right? Eight. And I know you have a newborn and my boys are 19 and 21. And I have to tell you that, you know, when my boys left for college, they both go to Rutgers university. I live in New Jersey. It's a, it's a huge hole in your heart, you know, when that empty nest syndrome, and it really causes you to step back and reevaluate your life. And I, I want to have, you know, I feel like you get one shot at life and I want it to be awesome. And so when that happens, when you have this empty nest, nest syndrome, and perhaps this is why this has occurred now for me, you really, really begin to evaluate your life because you're like, you know, I'm probably more than halfway through and I want to make really, really smart and excellent decisions for my next chapter let alone what I want to represent for my own sons, you know, um, and that, you know, that's a whole nother story. So yeah, like life is good. And when you truly analyze it, alcohol doesn't make it better in any situation at all. We lie to ourselves about that. And I, I believe that in my heart. I really do. 
Yeah, and it's amazing to see this whole, you know, you talk about people, I know, you know, Tony Robbins doesn't drink any alcohol. Doesn't. Talk about mm -hmm. self-help, like, kind of guru. Um, yes. I recently, I'm going to have someone named Alex Sharpen on in a few days on the podcast, and he has helped create, you know, he coaches billionaires. That's what he does. And he hasn't had a drink in 14 years because, honestly, and that's one of the first thing he tells his clients is if you want to make a contribution, first of all, he says that all billionaires, they're billionaires because they want to make a contribution, not because they actually care about the money, which is that's I think, really interesting. But he says, the first thing he says, if you want to make a contribution, you can't have things holding you back. And that's there's very few things that hold you back as intensely as drinking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wayne Dyer um, uh, introduced me to uh, years ago because I would see him speak. He often would come to chiropractic uh, seminars and he introduced me to David Hawking's book, Power Versus Force. And in that book, it talks about, have you heard of it? So I, I'm very, very big into the map of consciousness. And anytime that I get an opportunity to speak in any group, whether it's in front of chiropractors or, you know, women or whatever, I frequently will show a slide of the map of consciousness and where we need to vibrate. And no doubt these billionaires are vibrating at a level of joy and bliss and, and um, you know, and happiness and things like that. And the problem is alcohol lowers your vibration to, you know, that sub 200 level, extremely low levels. In, in fact, I think the lowest level on the map of consciousness is shame. And man, does that bring that out. And so when we're truly honest with ourselves and we can say, what value is it adding? It's, it's not adding a lot, you know, and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I really enjoy alcohol. Another truth for me was, you know what, Annie, I really didn't. You know, I, I, I say like, if, if I had a shot of vodka right here in front of me right now and I were to sip it. I wouldn't like it. I mean, it's like you said, it's poison. But when you add, man, cranberry and you add triple sec to it and I, voila, I got a Cosmo and I'm really liking that. And it would be funny. And that was when it started really opening my eyes because I would be at a bar, order a Cosmo, but it wouldn't have enough maybe triple sec in it. So I'm like, oh, this is too strong. And I'm like, well, <laughs> what? They just, just order a Coke for goodness sakes. You know, like if I want a sweet drink, I should just get a soda. So yeah, we, we just lie to ourselves that, and in particular with wine, you know, so, okay, so maybe I'm not doing vodka, but I'm, I, I drink wine and, you know, we've gone out to Napa a couple of times. I never bought into that either, you know, swirling the wine glass and looking at the legs. I mean, I just kind of laughed at myself like, well, I must, I just must not appreciate it enough. Um, but even, it's just funny how, again, how the universe works and how God works the last couple of years in particular in the last year. I just started enjoying wine less and less. Like there was very few wines that I didn't even like the taste of anymore and uh, wines that I would like before. And I just thought, yeah, it's, the universe is talking to me and I, I better listen. I better listen, you know? Oh, it's so cool. I, I remember going, um, so I met my husband in college and we didn't drink much at all. We didn't really drink until we started working in New York City and he was working for an investment bank and I was working for this huge company that I won't name and um and and we started getting into it and whatever and we'd go out and we'd be like just the two of us at a fancy dinner and and he'd do the whole ordering thing and it was in Manhattan so we kind of had to 
And like, I, I would just like inner cringe. I was like, this is so not us. Like my right. husband should probably be on a ski slope or a tractor, like right. not in this suit and tie trying to, you know, right. talk his way through the oaky flavors. And yeah. And then when I came across that study about how um, they actually did a test of, I think, 3000 wine drinkers right. to see if they could distinguish any difference between cheap and expensive I, wines. I Nobody could. <laughs> like, right. And we went, when we were out in Napa once, um, and we were at, uh, I think it was at Del Dotto, um, which is really a fun wine tour because it's in a cave, but we were having this exact conversation about cheap and expensive wine. And, and the, um, the wine tour guide, he said, you know, what is the best wine? And everyone's like, ears are open. He's like the one you like. So it's, and it's so true. So if you like a 10 or $15 bottle of wine, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, whether you like, you know, if you don't like the hundred dollar bottle of wine, don't feel guilty about it, you know, but <laughs> the whole wine industry, I mean, we could get off on a separate a subject on that, but, um, yeah, I just, I just don't want to drink anymore. So I think that it's interesting too, because the one that you like for me, the one that I liked was always the one that was most familiar or most at hand. Right. Um, so it wasn't, you know, and then if I wouldn't drink it for a little while, I remember distinctly trying to get a wine after and being like, okay. I'm going to, because I didn't always like them all. So I was like, I'm going to make sure that of these ones that I like, I take a picture of the label, I put it in and then I wouldn't drink it. And then I taste it again. I was like, oh, it tastes totally different. I can't believe I liked this one. I did, you know, and it was always this right. thing of, I just didn't think I had figured it out <laughs> and right. when really, you know, we're all, it's, it's the alcohol. And I mean, it's unfortunate too, because I think that it's, it's fun to sit here and talk about it from the other side, but also, I mean, I remember very specifically feeling, you know, like I was coming out of my skin a little bit if I didn't get the alcohol uh, in the wine, you know? And so I think the things that happen inside the brain and the body that create that craving and um, addiction, it's almost like we're being snowed. Actually, it is almost exactly like we're being snowed. Yeah. You're, I, I, there were so many parts of your book, and, and again, I reread it a couple times, and I'm watching a lot of your videos, but you go so much into the um, neurology and, and the and neurochemistry of it. Um, the one, the part that hit me the most was what was happening to me frequently is the next day, I, it's not that I had a hangover, you know, where I was like, couldn't function. I certainly wasn't my normal self, and I am a very jubilant, happy go lucky person. So that's pretty obvious when that's not there, but I would wake up fatigued and tired, but more, I would wake up a little bit depressed and that's not me. It is not me at all. And there was an event. Um, it was a little over a year ago. We went out with a couple in Philadelphia and I hadn't eaten and I had like three glasses of Chardonnay. And by like 10 o'clock I was done. I was done. Like I'm going back to the room I'm going to bed and my husband and I got in a big argument. It was all my fault because I just, I wanted to go sleep, right? And um, the next morning here, we're in Philadelphia. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. I remember, I think it was in the spring, but I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to go home. And I felt so sad, so incredibly sad. 
And so that part in your book, when you talk about why that happens, you know, um, when, because you're just trying to return to homeostasis, it makes, you know, alcohol is depressing and then your body's going to release hormones to raise it up. And then you're, it's, it's very similar, Annie, to blood sugar. You know, when I, when I teach patients that if you eat too much sugar at breakfast, I promise you at 10 AM, you're going to crash and burn because you over-release insulin. And then it's no different. You know, the body's always trying to return to homeostasis. And another part that really meant a lot is that it, we, I was losing like everyday joy. Like right now I'm in New Jersey, you're in Colorado, but I'm looking out at my backyard and I'm seeing these absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous fall colors. And it was just the small, I'm staring at my dog right here. who's just taking a little nap. It's, it's like so many of the little things that just are beautiful. And I was losing that and, and just, just focusing, I'd be adjusting, you know, and when, when you're a chiropractor and you love what you do and you're adjusting someone, it's so awesome. It's just, such an awesome feeling but my mind would be like mm, chardonnay tonight oh maybe two glasses oh it's friday night now friday night we're gonna go for cosmos and i'm like that's where it was that's when it just it um i knew it was coming i knew it was coming um i had a friend that uh, mentors me and we were on this very topic because um there had been several college related incidences with um, um my boys you know they're in fraternities i mean you're always hearing some horrible story. A boy in Philadelphia had just passed away from just frankly drinking too much and not getting the proper help. I mean, scary, scary stuff. And that was starting to talk to me, you know, and I finally woke up and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to stop soon. And my friend said, yeah, I'm gonna, he goes, I'm going to stop one day. I just don't know when. And it hit me. And I'm like, oh, my when is today, right now. And that was it. And um, again, your book helped me a lot because I did know those first 10 to 14 days would be a little bit difficult. And, and I would say, yeah, there's, there's events now that, you know, you, well, frankly, now I'm fine, you know, so no, I'm not even going to go there, but the first few weeks are difficult because you have a void that you have filled with alcohol that you don't know what to fill with and you don't want to fill it with something else. So I just, I just want to leave that void there. And I was just coming off of the void of empty nest so I was kind of familiar with the feeling of not feeling that void either. Just, just feel the void. And, um, and so when you're, I see a lot of the posts on your, your page and, and people talking about it, I want to just say, feel the void, right? That it might be a little bit painful, but when, when is pain a bad thing? You know, not all the time because, you know, it's the crushing of, <laughs> how about this for analogy? It's the crushing of the grapes that gets us wine. How about it's the crushing of the grapes that gets us grape fruit juice? But, you know, the pain of it is going to change you and mold you so that you can really take a step back and say, I'm going to be better without alcohol. And I am better without alcohol. That I know for sure. Oh, I love that. I think it, it calls to mind this analogy that I heard recently of, um, you know, what's the number th one thing a seed has to do to become a tree? And mm -hmm. it's it has to stop being a seed. And the number yes. two thing is that it has to go down before it goes yes. up. So it has to put roots before it can grow. And I think that, you know, this idea we, for a very long time, especially in our culture, Western society, we are just told that we shouldn't feel pain and we shouldn't tolerate pain. But if you look at every single thing, it is a law of the universe that right. birth, growth, next things come from death, pain, yeah. going down, 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, and that's honestly one of the big issues that we have to change in our culture, especially the American culture, because, um, we have taught, um, certainly gener our generation, generation beneath us that pain, we shouldn't feel pain. And that's just, that's just frankly wrong. Um, so my two boys are 19 and 21 and my 19 year old came fast and furious. He was 10 and a half pounds. I thought I was being murdered as he was coming out. I, I still, you know, people say you don't remember the pain. That's bull. Cause I remember <laughs> Um, completely, right? And I remember the nurse getting her elbow on the top of my uterus to push him out because he was getting stuck. I remember, and that's probably why I only have two sons, but I look at my sons now and would I go through that pain again? Of course I would, you know, of course I would. So yeah, this, the, you know, the painkillers, the, the drug addictions and, and frankly the alcohol, because what, what are we doing with alcohol? We're just numbing our life because we're crazed and we're stressed and we have too much on our plate and, and we're not fixing the problem. I mean, as a chiropractor, that's what we, we tell our patients. We want to fix the underlying cause of the problem. And if your problem is your spine being out of alignment, then I get to fix that. Maybe it's another problem, but if I fix that, that's pretty cool. So if your problem is you're stressed out beyond belief and you said yes when you should say no and you just, you're overcommitted, then the solution is not having alcohol every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. It's fixing the problem, you know, which is saying no or getting things off your plate or delegating or, or you know, buying a smaller house. I mean, I don't know, but what I know what we're doing isn't working. You know, and I, I just want to send a separate, a separate message. And, and, you know, as I bring up my sons, I want to be a role model for my sons. You know, I mean, like I said, they're both in college. There's a lot of drinking in college. You know, I, I won't even go there, but I just want to be a bit bigger role, better role model. And um, this was a really cool that thing that happened. So I had decided to stop drinking right before we were going to Mexico. And we go to Mexico all the time. We do an all-inclusive resort. Well, I knew that that would be my first real challenge. And I was so proud of myself. I mean, I was I was kind of giddy over it when I was waking up every morning going, oh my God, I'm at an all-inclusive resort and I'm not drinking. But um, anyhow, so we were um, uh, we were at the bar. My boys are 19 and 21, so they can legally drink in Mexico. Um, and my husband and the bartender goes to hand all four of us a cerveza, cerveza con limón, which would be something frequently I would order, beer with lime. And um, he goes to push one to me, and it was so incredible. My 19-year-old pushes it away, and he says to the bartender, no, my mom doesn't drink. Well, Annie, I, I, if I could have cried right there, I probably went underwater and cried because I think we were sitting at a pool bar. I was so happy that he was happy that his mom wasn't drinking. It was, it was what I needed. It was just what I needed at that moment. I, I wrote it in my journal the next day. And like, it's those little things that will mean so much to you because my goodness, are we setting a bad example when we're sitting with our young adult children and we are like, yeah, let's all drink together. I mean, what are you talking about? That, no, it's not okay. It is not okay. And I've, like I said, it's only been the last 10 to 15 years, but I, I've set the wrong tone for my sons and I am um, remedying that because I don't, I don't want to be the mom who drinks uh, a, a bottle of wine with her sons. I, I don't want to be that mom. Yeah, no, it's so beautiful. I, I love that. I see things on... Um on Facebook about like, you know, and I would have done this too. I would have made jokes because my, my kids would be like, Oh mom, your lips are purple, you know, too much wine again. Or, you know, like my eight year old told me that he used to actually sneak sips of stuff. Like he was four, I think when I yes. stopped drinking, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a little bit terrifying. Um, but 
I love that. Like having that, there's nothing, nothing that, you know, can compare with that. Just knowing that you are completely at peace and doing it for yourself and your children and not being, you know, one of the things that I, I see a lot online is there's, there's a lot of people trying to try who haven't kind of reached the point of, okay, this is actually about me. Like I'm the one, like, sure. There's a book and sure. There's a community and sure. There's this and that, and there's all sorts of education you can get, but actually it's, it's down to you. Like it's, it's your heart. It's your decision. And that's what makes it giddy. That's what makes it thrilling is when you've made that choice for you and you're so strong in that a few things happen. Number one, you may have not made a choice like that in that amount of strength and of, of your own character for, I mean, for me, it was for like decades, you know, that, that I hadn't really stood up for something and you can't be swayed. And you just know that, you know, for me, this is my truth. This is where I am. This is where I live. And, um, it becomes a huge source of pride instead of a source of, you know, poor me. Like I never feel like I, I feel the opposite. I feel a little bit bad sometimes because I look at, you know, we'll be going out on the camping trip and everybody's like, Oh, we got to stop at the liquor store. And my husband and I are kind of like, Oh, it's awkward. Don't you feel awkward that they need all this beer? Like, gosh, right. poor people. Like, I just feel kind of sad. Well, it's for not them. like the smoking, right? It's the sort of like the smoking from the the seventies and eighties. You know, everybody smoked, and now you're at a restaurant, and and it's let's say it's the middle of winter, and someone's standing outside puffing away. You you literally feel bad for them. Wouldn't it be cool if that's what happened with alcohol? And so, and again, and I don't want to come across as the alcohol snob. So if if anything, I'm really trying to downplay it. I mean, I have made a couple posts on it on Facebook because, you know, if I can inspire one or two friends, I know there was a woman at my church a few weeks ago that said that she had watched um, something that I posted on video and um, it made her drink less. And that made me feel good, you know? And I think you're right, Annie, you know, as much as I'm talking a little bit about my boys, I didn't do this for my boys. I did it for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's only so much guilt um, and fear and shame, even if it's just an ounce that you, that you want to feel in your life when you don't have to. I mean, my goodness, this is like self-inflicted, you know? I mean, there's there's tragedies out there that are, that are just random. And here I'm self-inflicting something that's not making me feel good about myself. Wayne Dyer would often say this, when I feel good, I feel God. And I, I love that. I want to feel good. I won't feel good all the time, right? And that keeps everything relative, which is awesome. But if I'm the one self-inflicting the bad, well, then shame on me. You know, absolutely shame on me. So there's just, there's just, you know, I think you've started a movement, and I, I really hope that um, what you've started will be similar to what happened with um, cigarette smoking. You know, the fact that they're not, you know, and I'm learning this from you, that in, in um, England now you you don't see any alcohol advertisements. You know, so this past Sunday, I'm watching football with my husband, and every other commercial, one's alcohol, one's drugs. One's out, alcohol, prescription drugs, okay, legal. How about that? One's legal alcohol, one's legal drugs, and that's the message. You know, that that's our message where millions of us are watching on Sunday football. And, and then you listen, listen to the side effects. I mean, there's with the drugs. I laugh. I'm just me and my husband are laughing about this. So wouldn't that be cool if we get to the point where, you know, this this, you know, trillion dollar industry or whatever alcohol is, it gets uncovered for what it really is, which is just, you know, drugs. And it's interesting, too, because so you're watching the alcohol and the drug commercials and um 
There's no uh, disclaimer on the alcohol. Yeah, you know that the side effects are probably a lot worse than that blood pressure right. medication. Yeah, uh. yeah. it's like, it, it's like, Again, um, locally, um, uh, uh, there was a young boy that um, died at a local um, university, and it wasn't a hazing incident. He just had, had too much to drink. He did hit his head, and then he didn't get seek proper medical care, and, and um, by the time he did, he, he, he died. And I said to myself, my God, like, I mean, uh, that is something, that's a lifelong pain, pain as a parent that you'll never, ever ever forgive yourself for and you know you'll have like like a lot of counseling to try to somewhat deal with life after that and um and so you know here we have these alcohol commercials non-stop like you know everybody's just jubilant over it and and like you said in your book i mean people are dying at much higher rates than from drug addiction i know in my hometown heroin is is a huge problem and yet alcohol beats it every single time and that that was another thing that i really wanted to share and you know there's several things that led me up to this but this was another very interesting thing and i know that you you're cautious about it on your blogs with alcoholics anonymous because you know it's a wonderful organization it saved a lot of people. I had several patients this summer, young girls that go to AA two and three and four and five nights a week. And these are young women that are completely dependent on these meetings. And I, I respect that, you know, but part of me steps back and said, oh my goodness, like what would we do with that time? I I don't want to, I want to just one and done. Hey, I'm going to show up this meeting. I decided to give up alcohol. Thank you for your support. I'll see you in this next life. I, I mean, there's just things to be done on the planet to make our life better. And that was not my path. And it was these young girls showing up in my life who I just loved on, but I'm like, they're, they need their meetings like that. They, they need them. And I, under, I, I don't understand it, but that's their path. And that, I wasn't going to choose that path and no way, no how, because I'm stronger than that. You know, I, you know, this body, this brain, which is so brilliant and intelligent, not necessarily me, but the design of it, like really I can decide. And so sometimes on your, on your um, podcast or on your naked um, mind um, Facebook, I really just want to type in there, like, guys, you're making it a bigger deal than it is, is just you're, you're not only you're deciding, you're actually changing your mind. You're changing how you think about it. And once you do that, once you see alcohol as like a poison, then you're like, okay, well, now I'm done with that. What am I going to use my brain power for now? Does that make sense? No, yeah. No, it makes all the sense in the world. And I totally agree with you. And it's it's hard because that that point, again, it comes internally. And you have to be ready to just make the choice to see it how it is. And you know, we're, we're human beings. We have the capacity for choice, like an amazing capacity for choice and choice can feel scary, but you have to make, you know, a, a burn the boats type of decision about right. like, this is what I'm doing. And, um, and you know, a lot of people I see they're okay. Well, I'm, I'm just, I don't know if I can do it. So I'm not going to tell anybody yet. And I actually think that's like a bit of a mistake because, right. um, the first thing I did was, I send this massive email out to like everybody and their mom. And you know, I got some flack because they're like, 
oh yeah, yes. talk to me in a year, talk yes. to me in six months, uh-huh. Yes. You know, and even even recently I went over to my neighbors and she's like, oh, so we're in the hot tub, you want a glass of wine? I'm just like, okay, you know that I don't drink. You know I just published a book about it. But, you know, it's cool, you've got to offer. That's that's host of you. Thank you very little. Um, but and but you do, you know, you do. You tell people. Um, I I had to, I told my husband obviously, um, and he was in full support of me. And um, then I told it was interesting. Um, I went out to lunch and I told my mom. Um, now my mom's not a big drinker, um, but it was it was an interesting conversation because our parents don't want to see us in anything but this, you know, wonderful light. Right. And so when I told her that she immediately, do you have a problem? Did you, I mean, I didn't know it was so bad. And, uh, but you know, Denise, it, you maybe in a month or two, you'll decide to have one or two, you know, and this, so I just had to just lay the line down. I said, and, and she said, you know, anything could be addictive. Sugar could be addictive. And I said, you're right. You're right. But I'm telling you right now, mom, that I'm done. And I know that I'm done. And I want to just give you a, a little analogy. If I go home tonight and I eat t 10 ice cream sundaes and I get in my car, I won't go kill someone. If I go home and I drink 10 Cosmos, I'll first probably kill myself. And then if I get in my car, certainly will kill someone else. So there's, yeah, it's totally different. You know, this is a drug that isn't good for me. And as soon as I said that, she's like, well, you got my full support. And, and so, uh, last week we, she owns a shore home. We were there and, uh, normally on a Friday afternoon, we would have a whole glass of Chardonnay to get a bottle of Chardonnay, um, you know, we would uh, talk and gossip in this past time, nothing. And then she, you know, she didn't have any either. So it was interesting. And, and we didn't even miss it. It wasn't until the end. We're like, wow, we didn't have wine. And it was exactly the same, if not better, you know? So yeah, there's just so much misinformation out there about it. Really there is. It's, it's interesting. I went to a, um, a kid's birthday party this past weekend. My middle son was, <clears throat> you know, at a birthday. And of course you show up and I don't know any of the parents. We don't know any of the parents. And actually, I ended up speaking to a chiropractor for quite a long time. It was really a good conversation. But, you know, it's it's quite intimidating to show up and not know everybody. And everybody immediately goes for the beer, immediately goes yes. for the wine. And I do. I have that 15 minutes of, you know, certainly not wanting to drink anything, but of like, okay, everybody needs to feel kind of loose enough to actually have conversations about something besides the weather. And then 20 minutes in, you know, people are actually ready to have like a real conversation about like, oh, well, let's start to talk about, you know, all of these important topics. And then every single time you spend two to three hours with people, you have amazing conversations. Like it will happen just because that's who we are as people. And it happens right. naturally and organically. It's just that when we think we need the wine, then we end up needing it because we feel quite deprived without it. Um, yes. I have one more question for you, but but very quickly, I wanted to say something on our last topic. I love talking to you, by the way. This is great. Um, our, when we were talking about the advertising, I think it's interesting because there's kind of two sides to that coin. Like there's certainly the side where, you know, it's promoting alcohol as something really attractive and good and everything else. And like that's conditioning. But there's this other side that's that's much more subtle and much less conscious of saying that if you're saying, oh, here, it's so fun to have a drink, you're also saying it's not fun without one. That's if you're right. saying as a mom, oh, it's so great to be able to relax and deal with my kids after a few drinks, you're also saying I can't deal with my kids without drinking. Yes. And so that flip side of the coin of what isn't being spoken 
it really undermines our confidence as human beings because we end up with all these drug commercials and like thinking that we need these external substances in order to be whole and healthy and happy. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. It's just that we have to kind of uncover that truth because there's, you can say, oh, well, it's just harmless to show, you know, a commercial with all these people partying and having a good time because, yeah, it can be fun. But, like, the other thing that that's saying is that life can't actually be fun without it, you know, especially yeah, and as that's, an adult. That's huge. It's just huge because it is the message of our culture, and it certainly is how I was raised. My my daddy is Irish and a uh, uh, good Irishman, lo loves his, you know, his whatever his drinks. But it's just how we were raised, and that's how, what his father taught him, and that's probably what his father's father taught him. And I want to teach my boys a different message, and it will take some time to overcome because that's the message, um, that Mondays are horrible, gone back to work, and Friday night's almost here, you know, and Friday night. And do you ever do this now where you're – you're fine at a restaurant, but then you're sitting at a bar and you just order a seltzer and whatever, and you just are you just become the silent observer of, wow, this is what we're doing. And then like I get to the point where I'm just like, what could we do with this energy and this money, and and, and where could we put it to solve the world's problems and terrorism and healthcare and then education and oh my goodness, so like you know your mind just starts to go, and then you're like, okay, bring it back, bring it back, Denise, just. Just, you know, Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. I would like to see the world drink less alcohol because I think we're wasting time, money, and energy that we've been granted in this life. It is a gift, and we should treasure that gift. I believe that I've made some mistakes in the last 10 to 15 years, and I'm so incredibly grateful that they weren't like these tragic mistakes that put me in a really bad place. But I look back and I have some regret over that, but I'm done with that because that's a wasted energy. And now I'm like, how can I make a difference in my life, in my husband's life and my two sons' life that I'm responsible for until they're you know, productive members of society? And one way I can make a better change is by not drinking. End of story. Absolutely. So let me ask you the question I always ask kind of at the end is, you know, there there's always fear in giving up something, especially when we feel like it is, you know, we've, we've been conditioned and we believe through our own experience that it is going to be, you know, the answer to relieving stress or networking or enjoying ourselves. Um, what would you tell Denise of, of kind of before about what life is like now in order to give, to give you know, what would you say? What would you say? Yeah, you know, you wish you could you wish you could take the clock back, you know, to take those years back, um, because I would say that life is a gift and it's more it's so incredibly enjoyable, period, like the gift of motherhood, the gift of me being able to be a chiropractor, the gift of a marriage that's lasted 25 years, the gift of living in America as a free, um, you know, free citizen. I mean, there's so many, many gifts. And alcohol does nothing, adds no value to any of them. I was listening to a, um, uh, a podcast this, this morning with um, Michael Beckwith, uh, I think I'm saying his last name correctly, the agape uh, preacher. And he, he was really talking a lot about fear. And it's like, whether if we go to do something, we can do it with or without fear. It, fear is a choice, Annie. It's just a choice. So if we're able to step back from this, and say, well, I could give up alcohol and it's, I'd be afraid of the social situations and stuff, or I could give up alcohol and just 
the walk through the fear, I chose the second path because I've already had an honestly, like I, this is another thing I say, if I could bottle up all the guilt and the shame and the wasted energy and the tiredness, if I could bottle it all up, what would I do with that energy? And so now I'm absolutely not going to fill another bottle up with uh, feeling fear of giving this up. No, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done. Well, you're awesome. I mean, I've been watching you now for a while and um, I think you're being used for some pretty mighty purposes. So I'm just going to keep you in my thoughts and prayers because I, I think you're starting a, a worldwide movement. And so even in the craziness of your life with the kids and baby and, you know, just keep it going, Annie, because you're you're starting something that I think could literally change the planet. It's, it's a big statement, but I, I believe that. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.